hey, if you can't make the men's retreat, that's okay. You just make sure that you tell Steve and Cam. You, you can let them know you're not going to be able to make it. And they'll schedule an appointment with you at Steve's garage. There you go. That was awesome. Ethan's been working out at, uh, with Steve at the garage. He came home the other day and he, he said he, he wanted a, a heavy bag for our garage. I'm like, huh, now I know why. There it is right there, right? There it is. I hope Steve comes with it because I'm going to be of no help. That's just for the record. That's for the record. Hey, uh, just before we get into the, into the message tonight, I just want to take an opportunity just to, to honor Chris House. Don't you appreciate Chris? Come on. He's our, our director of, uh, of worship and creative arts and just his, uh, his ministry here in this church. But it's, it's not just here. It's, it's, it's beyond the 757. And uh, four years ago, to this August is his four-year anniversary with us. And, and, uh, and, and when we hired him, uh, we knew that he had a ministry far beyond uh, this state and this, and this region. And, and one of the, our commitments to him is that we don't want to compete with that. We, we, we want to cheer him on. And so sometimes there's weekends where you might show up and you're like, where is he? That's because he's out doing worship somewhere else. And, uh, and, and we want to continue to be a church that cheers him on to amplify his ministry far beyond uh, this region. And so we love him and his family. I, I will tell you just this quick story that when we were in this room right here, it's before our services actually moved here, but we were having leaders meetings. Our offices were still here and we had pulled together what we call our campus directors team, which is the, the leaders of all of our ministries. And, and we were just sharing with them that we felt like it was, the time, it was time for us to hire a full-time somebody into that role. And this is how we make decisions. We just, we trust in the collective voice of the leadership of our church. And so we gathered together to just to pray over, over that decision. And when we were praying, Hannah Godwin, she was sitting like right there in the second row when we were done praying, she said, I just have to share that as we were praying for this person, we didn't know who it was yet, that they're gonna be married and they're gonna have kids and, and, and it's not just going to be their voice in our church, but their, their family's voice in our church. So when we found Chris, he was single. <laughs> and he had no kids. But he was full-time here in August. Listen to me. He was married by December. Married by December. And then, right, Reagan and Ryan are soon to follow. And so I'm just saying, if Hannah prays for you, enter at your own risk. Enter at your own risk. So, yeah. Yeah, man. That's love. So good. She, I'm telling you, it's, it's, she's just dialed in, if you know, so many times during our, our services, too. Shanika has been up here, right? Just, she has a prophetic ear. And uh, just a post that I just saw today, I don't know if she'd put it on to Facebook, but just reaching out to her and saying, hey, you need to make this public so we can share it. And just this, I'm just telling you, there's, you need to check it out. And uh, we just appreciate your family's voice and our congregation for, for many reasons, for many reasons. I'm loving this series that we're in. I hope that you are enjoying it as much as I am. We're, we're in it for this summer. I think it's going to carry us uh, into September uh, a little bit. We don't have a hard ending for this. Part of it is just because of the nature of what this series is talking about. 
And so we just want to have a sense of, of just following God when he says it's ready to, to move on. And so this, this idea of an open heaven, it might be new for you. And so let me just give you a, a little bit of a, of a background. We're not going to spend an incredible amount of time recapping. I did that last week. Uh, you can get these messages through our website. We upload the notes for our sermon every week. There's a PDF uh, and so we tend to cover a lot of ground here on Saturday nights. And so if you're a note taker, that can be frustrating, I know. But these PDFs are always available to you. And so you can download those uh, and check them out. But as you, as you look into the Bible and you, and you find this idea of an open heaven... You find it used in lots of different ways. You find it spoken of as a promise. You see it as a prophecy of Jesus. You see it as a prayer of rescue so many times in the book of Psalms with David. You find that it's just, it's just sometimes it's poetic language. It's not talking about an actual experience, but it's just part of the poetry of the song. There are supernatural encounters, which is really where we've been focusing these last few weeks and are going to dig some more in there tonight. It talks about supernatural provision. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a family in our church. We brought them forward just to pray over them, just believing and trusting God for supernatural provision uh, for their life. It's also used in our intro. We talked about how there's one point where it's actually used as an exaggeration, that somebody that's unbelieving actually says, well, that's the only way that's going to happen is if God were to open the heavens. And so we see this phrase used in so many different ways. But for us, where what we've been focusing on is this idea of being in God's living presence. That when you read in this book, there are stories where people have conversations with God. They feel his presence. He speaks to them. He brings transformation to their life, oftentimes alters their situation. And as a church, we believe that that can still happen today. We've talked about this idea that, that an open heaven experience is like a nearness of heaven last week as we begin to break down the text of Genesis 28. We've talked about how there's clarity of thought so oftentimes in open heavens. Just in writing this sermon this week, I, I remembered in, in, in the summer of 2008, uh, 2007, in the spring just before that, when we were really having a sense of change and transition in our own life as we were on staff at a church outside of Richmond. I've been a part of that church for 17 years and on staff for eight and just uh, it, it just really caught us off guard that God might ask us to move somewhere else and we just we had a couple of opportunities that were available to us and we kind of narrowed it down to two it was either going to be coming here uh, or it was going to be working for a uh, international child sponsorship agency and I just remember going down one Sunday in the worship service like many people that you saw coming down here at our church there and and there in in, in the worship just beginning to lay that decision before God and, and just having such a sense that God said, I've called you to be a pastor, right? And so I got home for lunch that day and our kids were just itty bitty back then and we've got all three, like three, you're trying to wrangle together to get at the table to have lunch and we sit down and I remember looking at Vanessa and say, God spoke to me today in the service and I felt like he said that, uh, that I'm called to be a pastor and, and, and we're moving to Newport News and, and she looked at me and if you know Vanessa, you can imagine this, she says, I know. I was just waiting for you to hear it for yourself, right? <laughs> so, but sometimes you need clarity. Sometimes you're facing big decisions in this life. Sometimes there's, there's, there's choices that are in front of you that are going to alter the course, course of your history, of your life. And we need to have a sense of what God wants to speak over us and open heaven moments or for moments just like that. 
There's times where we feel empowered. We, 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 maybe there's a, a moment of clarity that God's spoken to us, but we feel inadequate stepping into that. In open heaven moments, we're going to be getting into that next week and the week after where there, there's, there's, a, there's, there's the, the Holy Spirit coming upon us to impart to us and deposit in us gifts that are tools for us to walk in our purpose. We've talked about in this series that in Luke chapter 9, one of the hallmarks of open heavens is that you just don't want to leave, right? That's the Mount of Transfiguration. It's Peter, James, and John saying to Jesus, can, can we just stay here? So many times open heaven moments are that for us. And what I want to talk tonight about, maybe it's for some of you, that you might say, you know what, Fred, I've, I've not had a lot of those moments. Maybe you've been here in this series, or maybe you haven't, and you've listened to the podcast. Maybe you're visiting tonight and just hearing what I've described. You might look over your life and say, Fred, I, I'm not sure maybe that's ever happened to me. And so I want to talk to you tonight about some of the ways that you can put your life onto a course where open heaven moments are waiting for you. Now, we like a little participation here at City Life, so, so help, just to help me out, is, is when you think about the difference between inclusive and exclusive, maybe what's something that comes to mind. You can raise your hand, I'll point to you. Maybe you give an example of something that's inclusive, or maybe you want to give an example of something that's exclusive. So you, you raise your hand, I'll point to you. Just inclusive, exclusive, what's something that comes to mind? Somebody. Union. Union, yeah, for like in a workplace, yes. Yeah you got to join. It's Not everybody's a part of it. Yep, it's exclusive. Somebody else? Amy. Picking teams in PE class, right? It's where kids experience trauma for the very first time. And from the expression on your face, it maybe looks like that you were excluded. In Jesus' name, Father, we just pray for healing for Amy's heart, right? Come on, that's so good. Somebody else? Inclusive, exclusive. Carla. Clicks. Yeah, right? You can't be a part of our group. How about us coming to your retirement ceremony at the Air Force base, right at Langley? There's a, right? Not anybody can get on to a base. Our name was on a list, right? We're all nervous, pulling up, giving them our IDs, right? They got all kinds of weapons. We're like, we just want to come in for Carla. Scotty. Marriage. Come on, yes. These are good. Somebody else. Inclusive, exclusive. Inclusive, exclusive. Anybody? sororities and fraternities. Come on, you guys are doing good, Gil. The family of God. The family of God. I like it. Now you're getting warmed up. Chrissy? You maybe put in there. Come on. Yeah. She said heaven, right? If you've not made a vow of devotion to Christ, there's a, there's a sense of exclusivity that's, that's connected to eternity. I, I think sometimes when, when, we, when we think of the word inclusive and then we think of the word exclusive that many times, and it's true in our normative experience in life that those things can be opposite to one another. But what I want to suggest to you is that when it comes to open heavens, they are both inclusive and exclusive at the same time. An open heaven is inclusive by way of an experience with the living presence of God in the sense that every single person in this room has equal opportunity to have those encounters. There, there's an inc inclusivity through the promises of scripture that are to all of you. No matter your age, your ethnicity, your lifestyle, where you've been, where you're headed, 
by virtue of the fact that you've been born into this world, this book and this sermon series that we've been digging around on makes a promise to you that you're a candidate. You're included in the people that can have an open encounter with God. It's exclusive in the sense that if you choose to not do certain things, then you exclude yourself from the experience that he wants to include you in on. And for some of you, it could be this series has been frustrating to you because you feel excluded when you want to be included and your accusation might be to God in a moment of frustration is that you're not doing that for me, but it's not as though that God hasn't chosen you, it's because you've not chosen his ways. And that when we begin to choose the ways of God, we put our life on course to the paths of God. And can I just tell you, those paths for every one of you include open heavens. There are moments that God has waiting for you in your future that are just like the description that we have read tonight and have been preaching in this series I want to talk a little bit tonight about John the Baptist, and then we're going to make our way into the life of Malachi. And I want to share this verse with you. It's in Luke 7:28. And, and I believe that as we dig into the story of the lives of these two men, it demonstrates for us this idea that there are certain steps that you've got to be willing to take. There are certain ways of God that you've got to be willing to embrace if you want to have open heaven encounters with the Creator of the universe. Luke 7, 28, right here, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Right, that's a big statement. Can we just agree on that? That Jesus, looking at all of history and all of humanity, says, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Now we could do a whole sermon series just on that alone. But I share that verse with you because there is a significance to John's life. And one of the reasons there is a significance to John's life is because of what happened in Israel's history 400 years leading up to John. But before we get into some of that, let me just give you some background over the life of John. And, and let me also just say, as we dig around into the background, I, I want to just speak some things over some of you tonight. As I was researching on the life of John the Baptist, especially these first five points, I had such a sense that, that, that in these moments that God wanted to speak to some of you here. Right? It's just a little sidebar of activity in our message. Can we just agree on that? We have, we have people that complain after they leave services here. You know what one of the most common complaints is? Most common complaint is the argument that takes place between the person who brings their friend to church. And on their way home, this is what they say. I'm mad at you. The person's like, what? They're like, I don't appreciate that you told the pastor what's been going on in my life. And they're like, I didn't tell him anything. They're like, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me, right? Or, or they say, I'm a little upset with you that whoever that person was that got up after the last worship song and started talking about somebody in the room, I can't believe you told him about what's going on in my life, right? They're like, no, I didn't tell him, right? And you might feel like you've been set up. And can we just say, people don't report into us about what's going on in your life. But God's, he's watching. 
and he knows what you need. And we're not setting you up, but guess what? Sometimes God, you know what he likes to do? He likes to set you up. So he gets you into a room like this, and I believe he's gotten some of you into this room tonight. So I'm just, the friend that brought you, I'm just helping them out right now. Don't be mad at them. Don't be mad at them. And and, and as I was reading this verse, you know what I thought? I thought there's going to be somebody here tomorrow night, and they're going to see that verse, and this is a thought, and and, and whoever you are, you've already had it. No, No one's ever said anything like that about me. That you spent your whole life in and you've wanted someone to make a boast of your life. Can, can we just say every human being needs someone to boast about them? Every human being needs someone to boast about them. If you're a parent, one of your greatest responsibilities is to boast in front of your kids about your kids, right? And you might say, well, Fred, no one's ever done that for me. It might be that you're an adult in this room in that season of life. That It could be that your parents aren't even here anymore. It could be that you don't even know who your parents are and something inside of you is desperate for someone to boast about your life. Can I just say to you, there's going to be a moment in heaven where God boasts about every one of us. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, there's going to be a moment in heaven where he's going to boast about your life in front of all of creation. And you might get robbed of that in this life. And what I just say to you, when it comes then, it's going to heal all the hurt that's been throughout this life and what you've not had. God loves you that much. He sees your life and you, you, you might say, well, well, Fred, it'd be nice if it could happen here. And I'm agreeing with you, but even if it doesn't, Even if it doesn't, there's going to be a moment where all of the universe stands and it's just going to be you and the creator of the universe and he's going to say something about you like he said about John. There is a boast that all of us need to hear over our lives. As you look into the story of John the Baptist, you find that John's mother, Elizabeth, is related to Jesus' mother, Mary. And as you read, especially early on in the Gospel of Luke, you have this incredible song that Mary sings. You have this incredible moment where Mary just kind of speaks, I mean, Elizabeth speaks this blessing over Mary's life. And and you just get this sense that, that during their time of being pregnant together while Mary was staying there, and the reason she's staying there, right, is because she's not married and she's pregnant and she's just, she's hiding from the disgrace of not being married and knowing that people aren't going to believe the story that an angel came and said, this is of God. Who wants to bring that story to their parents? But that was the story that Mary had. And as you read their life together, what you, what you, you get this sense that they spent a lot of time praying over their children. A lot of time just praying over these children that they had not even yet met. And I just had such a sense as I was reading this part of the history of the story of John the Baptist that for some of you here, you're you're wondering, did anyone ever pray for you? And can I just tell you that there are people in your history of your family that prayed for you. And you might not ever meet them until you get to heaven. You might say, well, Fred, you don't know my parents. And I can guarantee you, my parents never prayed for me. And that might be true. And maybe it wasn't your grandparents. And maybe it wasn't your great-grandparents. And maybe it wasn't your great-great-grandparents. But I'm telling you, at some point in the journey of your life, there was a person that got down on their knees and began to pray for the generations that were going to come after them. And even though you don't even realize it now, those prayers have sustained you during difficult times. And I'm sharing that with you because you should be doing the same thing. 
If you're a parent, you should be praying over your children. It doesn't have to necessarily be with them, although that's good too, but just praying for them, praying for their future. And can I just say, don't just pray for your children, pray for future generations. They matter. Prayers travel through time. Your life has been sustained because someone was courageous enough to believe for you even before they knew you. Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, he was a priest and there was an angelic visitation as he went to perform his duties in the temple. When you read that story, you have such a sense that the birth of John the Baptist was important because angels accompanied it. That there's just a lot of fanfare, if we can use that phrase, surrounding his coming. And maybe for some of you, you're here tonight and you feel like that your birth was just a blink on the story of history and it didn't matter. Can I just say to you that your birth, it was attended by angels too. And all of heaven couldn't wait for you to come be a part of this world. All of heaven was excited about the coming of your life into this world, regardless of what the circumstances were, regardless of the hardships that you were born into, regardless of the situation maybe that you were placed into that you didn't choose. I'm telling you that God ordained the story of your birth just as he did John the Baptist. I remember for each of our children, we chose because we're such type A personalities, which I know maybe comes as a surprise to you. But like, you know, we're, we're control freaks, both Vanessa and I. And so we, we, we just decided, you know, we, we controlled every other part of our life for our births. We're just, we're not going to find out the gender. And we're just going to subject ourselves to, to this, this idea of, of not being able to be in control, right? And so for each of our, our children's birth, there's this moment where everyone's in the waiting room, especially for Derek, because he was the first one. And he was the, and for Vanessa's side of the, the, the family, he was the first grandchild on the, on the side of the family. It was a big deal, right? And so there's this moment where, where Derek's born and, and everybody's in the waiting room. They want to know, right? Is it a boy or girl? I kid you not, because we were on the first floor we were on the first floor. You could hear people tapping on the window, right, of, the, of our hospital. Because if you know our families, you know that they are a little bit intrusive. And so, right, boundaries in Jesus' name, boundaries. Praise God for curtains. And so, so, but finally there was this moment where I go out into the waiting room and, and it's, it's a boy, right? And then for Ethan, it's a boy, right? And then for Claire, it's a girl, The excitement and the enthusiasm that was in that room. Even people that we didn't know stood up and cheered. Because they're all in there waiting for somebody to be born too, right? There's an excitement that often accompanies a birth. Maybe not yours. Maybe not yours. But can I just tell you, all of heaven was cheering because you came. All of heaven was cheering because you came. You have this incredible story of Elizabeth with child with John the Baptist and Mary with child with, with Jesus. And the, and the first time they met was before both of them were born. And it says that when Mary came to Elizabeth, that John the Baptist leapt in the womb of his mother as the Holy Spirit came upon him. Come on, right? So rich, these stories in scripture. 
He, he, he leapt because he was in the presence of God. And as I was studying these facts about the life of John the Baptist, I thought for some of you, your encounter with the Holy Spirit is still waiting for you because you're not willing to bring yourself into the presence of Christ. See, with Jesus and John before they were born, they were dependent upon their mothers for that moment to happen. But there's a prophetic sense to what's happening in this story, and it's one of the reasons why I believe that it was included in Scripture. It's what Chris was talking about, come on, when he was encouraging and challenging us with the woman with the alabaster box and breaking it over Jesus' feet and not being afraid of the demonstration of praise in the presence of our God. For, for some of you, even on Saturday nights in rooms like this, you're looking around and you're watching people have these open heaven experiences and 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 it's not there for you. And for some of you, it's because you're, you're, you're not stepping into the moment. You've you got to be willing to bring yourself into the presence of Christ. And I'm telling you, when you do, you're going to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, just like it was for John the Baptist. You can be in this room and still be steps away from his presence because you're not willing to enter in. Matthew 3, 1 through 6, love this description. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Listen to this description of John. He would have fit great into the men's retreat video. John's clothes, they were woven with coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist and for food he ate locusts and wild honey right there's just this picture of this man in the wilderness in this looking like he's just wearing he just killed an animal and he's wearing the fur and he's got locusts and honey in his beard and he's shouting out to the crowd for them to repent but yet they just came by the droves didn't they to hear him speak Verse five, people from Jerusalem, from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to sea and hear him. And when they confessed their sins, he, was, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Let me just talk about this little bit of a story because some of you, this is a hang up. Because you read this story and the reason why you're steps away from Christ is because you're petrified that he's gonna make you do things like this. And that he's gonna make you look like this in your world. Right? Can we just agree there's sometimes in Scripture there's just a frightening eccentricity about certain people in the Bible. And we hear these stories and we think, I'm not sure I want to be in all in with Christ because I'm not ready for eccentricity. And can, can we just agree this is not everyone's calling? And in fact, most of the time, what we view as eccentric, it's because we're reading it through the filter of 2,000 years of history from a culture that's very different from theirs. For John, he needed to look like this. He needed to sound like he did because God wanted the people of Israel to understand that this was a prophet. 
And in Jewish culture, 2,000 years ago, that looked a certain way. So in 2000, this is not eccentricity 2,000 years ago. This is relatability 2,000 years ago. And what we draw from this is that God wants to make you relatable to the people in your world. He doesn't want to make you eccentric. I'm not saying that there aren't eccentric Christians, but a lot of times that's just because that's their personality to begin with. Don't read these stories and say, God's going to make me do weird things. God wants you to relate to the world that you're in so that you'll be trusted so you can speak to them about Christ. That's what John was. This is about relatability. You read this and think, I never want to wear those. For you, come on. It could just be the skinny jeans and the t-shirt that looks like a nightgown and the basketball shoes that cost $450. Can I just tell you, that looks eccentric to me, but you're not called to bring the message of the gospel to me. I'm old. God wants to make you relatable to the generation you're in to give you a voice of influence to the generation you're a part of. John the Baptist was the first legitimate prophet in 400 years in the history of a nation. 400 years of prophetic silence. When you read in the Old Testament, right, you, there's the major prophets and the minor prophets. The minor prophets aren't minor because they had a minor ministry. It's just because their books were a little bit smaller. All the prophets were significant in the Old Testament. All of them. And then all of a sudden, you get to Malachi, and there's 400 years of prophetic silence. God gave humankind the silent treatment. 400 years, nothing. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes onto the scene. You see, John the Baptist wasn't just a forerunner for the coming of Christ. He was also the person that says to the world to look back and remember where we came from. See, so many times because it's been ingrained in us throughout our whole life that he is the forerunner for Christ, and he is all of that, but he's not just the forerunner of Christ. John the Baptist is the person in history that brings together the birth of Christianity in Judaism, and he pulls them together. There's, there's 400 years of prophetic silence because God wanted to drop a person into the history of the story of him and mankind that would be so significant that his life and his life alone would point to Jesus being the Savior, which is what many of us have grown up on, but it was also to remind us to look back and to remember the message of the prophets that came before him. He's both pointing ahead and pointing behind. Malachi, the closing of what we would call the Old Testament. Many biblical scholars, they can't even agree on who wrote the book. And I love that. Because now all of a sudden the book isn't about who wrote it, but it's about what's in it. In fact, Malachi is really just a name that they came up with because they didn't know what name to give it because the name that appears in the Hebrew is really the word messenger. 
And they took the word messenger and then made that into this name Malachi. Interesting, isn't it? I love that Zechariah was stricken with the inability to speak when he had his angelic encounter with the birthing of John the Baptist or the pronouncement of his son coming. Why do you think he, he, he was stricken with silence? Because Jesus is coming and there's been 400 years of prophetic silence in the world. And so Zechariah himself, the father of John the Baptist, is this prophetic imagery of the silence that the world itself has been suffering under. God not speaking. John the Baptist. He points us to the last time God had something to say. If you were God and you knew that you weren't going to speak prophetically into the world for another 400 years, how important do you think those final words were going to be? God knew that when this book was going to be put together, canonized, become sacred, that Malachi was going to be right there at the end. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Now, don't get nervous. If you're visiting, you're saying to yourself, I knew it was coming. He was going to talk about giving. This text talks about giving, but this text, I believe, has been done a terrible injustice throughout centuries of time because the application has been amplified and the principle has been overlooked. 3, 8 through 12 says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings that are due to me, and you are now under a curse because of it. Your whole nation has been cheating me. Verse 10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, listen, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Genesis to Revelation, there is no place in scripture where we are told to test God except for this one. In fact, we're told not to do it. It's the only exception. It's interesting that it's directly connected to open heavens. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. I like in the King James, it talks about the devourer. Says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then, listen, what 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's army. See, this text about Malachi is about an open heaven that is so demonstrative that the rest of the world is just held in awe by the glory of God. That's what this text is about. The giving and the tithing, that's just the application. But the principle that's being given to us by Malachi is the idea of inclusivity and exclusivity. He's saying all people can step into these open heaven moments, but you got to be willing to embrace the ways of God to do it. Here, it's just a fill in the blank moment. It happens to be about tithing, but that might not be what it is for you. The question is, the question is, 
Which ways of God are you neglecting in your life that keep you from experiencing the open heavens that God wants you to have, not just for yourself, but for the nations of the world to look to the church and call us blessed? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We'll do the second half of this next week. Go ahead, say thank you. That's all right. Grace governs my relationship with God. This is where we're headed next week. Listen to me. Grace governs my relationship with God, but truth governs my life in his kingdom. My life as a child of God is directed by love, but my life in his kingdom is directed by principles. Luke 3, 3 through 6. Oh, I love these verses. This is out of the New American Standard. It says, and he came into all the district around the Jordan, speaking of John the Baptist, preaching of baptism, of the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In verse four, it says, that is, as is, it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Listen to what it says. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, Every ravine will be filled in. Every mountain and hill will be brought low and the crooked will be made straight. And the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. That meant something to people 2,000 years ago. Yeah, they had VDOT back then too. Construction projects, building roads. And in ancient times, the majority of the time when those projects were being done, you know why? It's because there was a king that had conquered a certain kingdom and that king wanted to have access to his subjects. And so they would send out work crews, VDOT. It would always cost more than it was supposed to, take longer than it should, and there would always be 10 people standing around telling one people what to do, right? Some things don't change. But when they went out, this is what they would have to do. Valleys would have to be exalted. Mountains would have to be brought low. The crooked straight and the rough places plain. So the king could have access to the subjects. This language is part of the story of John the Baptist because it's part of the story of our experience. Is that God wants you to know that there is nothing on this earth that he will allow to stand between you and him. There is nothing that he will not do. No circumstance that he will not overcome. No situation that he will not conquer. No question that he's afraid for you to ask him. No complaint that he's intimidated for you to bring. He, nothing can stand in between you and him except yourself. Because in ancient times when those kings came, and they did, people had to choose as to whether or not they would surrender to the authority of the sovereign. And for some of you here tonight, for some of you, as you look back onto the story of your life, there's never been a moment where you've bent your knee to the sovereign creator of the universe who's given you the gift of life for the story that he wants to use you to write in this world.
Stand with me. Father, I pray as we step into this moment of worship, as people are down here on either sides of the altar to pray, if there's someone here tonight and as they look back over to the story of their life, they cannot find a moment where they've made a vow of devotion to Christ. I pray they would find their way up here. Father, for maybe it's a person that's here tonight and it's not about a vow of devotion to Christ. It's about one of those things that we talked about earlier, feeling like no one's ever had a boast over them or, or, or feeling like their life doesn't have meaning or purpose or maybe some other part of this message that just, that's just stirred their hearts. I pray, Father, that they would find themselves at this altar, just kneeling in your presence, positioning and posturing themselves for the open heaven that we know that you have waiting for them. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.